Hi, everyone. This is Beth Ann with the She Will Rock You podcast. Um, Leah is on vacation, uh, so I am flying solo this episode. But um, we wanted to do something different this week, um, considering a lot has transpired in our country since our last episode dropped. Um dealing with Black Lives Matter and George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Aubrey, and honoring their lives. Um, we didn't want to just do another episode. Um, actually, this June um, is technically our one-year anniversary of the podcast, and we had made plans to do something really fun for it, but it just didn't feel like the right time. And instead, as Lee and I were talking, we decided we wanted to lend our mic to someone else for an episode. Um, so on this episode, we have Quan McLaurin. He was the Director of Diversity Retention at Liberty University. Um, Liberty University is a local conservative evangelical school here in our city of Lynchburg, Virginia. And we also have Thomas Starchia, who was... A director, and I'm going to apologize, Thomas, because I think I'm going to botch, uh, botch this up, but um, he was a director in the Spiritual Advocate Office of Liberty University. Um, so if you're not, like I said, not familiar with Liberty University, I kind of described it. There has been locally a lot that has happened. Um, it also has been picked up in the national news as well. Um, but I'm going to let Quan and Thomas talk a little bit more about it. Um, but still a lot with, uh, the chancellor tweeting something that caused a lot of racial trauma. Um, I'm going to let them talk a little bit more about it from their experience. And then they're also going to talk about just from a national level, um, the importance of Black Lives Matter, what they are experiencing and feeling. Um, I just want to encourage you to listen to this episode. If you're a first time listener, good. This is, this is a great, um, this isn't like our normal format, mind you, but this is easily some of the most wonderful yet challenging content that I have had the privilege of hearing. And I am so thankful that Quan and Thomas were able to take over the episode, do an episode takeover, because, you know, it, it's amazing how my eyes continue, my ears continue to get open to more and more of the experiences of black, brown, Latino, queer communities um, and what's being, what's happening. And, yeah, so I'm going to just let the episode play and you're going to hear from Quan and Thomas. All right. Thank you so much, Leah and Bethann, for uh, inviting us onto your show yes. and for that wonderful introduction. Uh, my name is Quan McLaurin um, and I'm here with my dear friend, uh, Miss Wendy Williams. Hi, <laughs> Also Hi, known as Thomas Starchia. Um, so I guess since we are shaking things up a bit, we should let you know a little bit about ourselves. I will start out and try and keep things as quick as possible. Um, 
My name, again, is Quan. I don't really have a place that I call home. A lot of people are like, where are you from? My family was a military family growing up, and my mom loved to move. Uh, before I moved to Lynchburg, Virginia, I actually lived on Guam. Um, it's a island out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and I lived on a naval base there. I uh, am currently working at liberty but also not (laughs) i definitely turned in my letter of resignation and told them i am out Uh, but we'll get to that in a few moments i came to liberty into lynchburg because i knew i wanted to study psychology and i wanted to be a licensed counselor but uh just through my upbringing i was um kind of like pressured I felt conviction to choose a Christian education didn't really know anything about this school named Liberty but I found it looked up some student vlogs they looked like they were having a pretty lit time over here and so I came on over um and yeah uh Wendy do you want to go ahead and talk all right so my name is not really Wendy um but I'm Thomas and I am originally from Virginia Beach Virginia um, hello, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for allowing me to be part of the show. Um, I came um, to Liberty. Actually, I'm, <laughs> I'm older than Quan. Uh, I came to Liberty in 2007. Um, so y'all can try and figure out, do that math. Um, but didn't you go to another school before you came? To I did. I did. I went to Campbell University for one year uh, after I graduated. So I graduated high school in 2006, went okay. to Campbell for one year, then transferred to Liberty in 2007. Um, and the reason why so you're 55, <laughs> you're not going to come for me. <laughs> not on the, not on this, t- not on the show. You're not going to come for me. But um, <clears throat> but you wouldn't you wouldn't guess it. But. I came to Liberty um, because they mainly because of a program uh, that um, actually started the music and worship arts program. Mm -hmm. It was brand new. And the program that I was previously in at Campbell was not what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. So a friend of mine who told me about this new program that the university was getting off of the ground was exactly what I was looking for. So uh, I made the decision without my parents knowing and I transferred to Liberty and I was a student until 2010, uh, graduated. I was part of a ministry team there as well. We might talk about that um, over the course of this episode. Uh, I started directing that team for a little while. Uh, then I started working full-time for the university back in 2012. And similar, similarly to Quan, I spent my resignation uh, last week as well, and I'm um, currently in in a transition period uh, until July 3rd, pretty much, and then that will be my last day. So, fun fact about how Thomas and I met, um, we've actually been friends since 2012 because, mm-hmm. as he just said, he started becoming an admissions counselor uh, in 2012. Well, I became a student at Liberty in 2012, and he was my admissions counselor. My mom would call and only want to speak to Thomas. And whenever she would get to someone else, she'd be like, no, I only want to speak to the black man. She would literally um, wait until I was done with my <laughs> current phone call before she would even get to me. Like she would literally wait. She was like, I don't I don't want to speak to nobody else. I'll never forget that one day. Like, 
and she surely made sure to get his cell phone number um, because she said, I'm not waiting in these lines she anymore did. on this on hold for what? <laughs> for why? <laughs> for <laughs> It didn't matter the reason. It didn't matter how long. Right. She was going to figure out a way of getting in contact with me. And so we actually, um, so I ended up coming, you know, to campus and we ended up in the same Bible study and um, we were leaving for Thanksgiving break and we were going around a circle talking about our prayer requests and I was like, yeah, you know, I have to go, I have to get home for Thanksgiving and just, you know, pray for my travels and everything. And I'm, I'm riding with somebody. And then Thomas was like, yeah, pray for me. I'm taking this kid home. His mom um, asked me to take him home. And then we yeah, just it like, was, it was okay. This is just a little bit more just so it can make a little more sense. You know, I got a phone call during the semester from Quan's mom asking if I would be willing to bring him with me to Virginia Beach area because that's that's where his family moved to. If I wouldn't mind bringing him and his friend uh, to uh, Virginia Beach um, for Thanksgiving holiday. Now, you have to understand the position I was in. You know, being a professional, working in a call center, you know, I've like I never really met Quan or his mom. Never really met, and he was already a student. I wasn't even his. So I was in a position to where I was like, okay, well, I only I know these people professionally, but I don't know them on a personal level. But me and my good heart decided to go ahead and you know go ahead and accommodate. So, uh, so that so there so there was that phone call, and then we get to the Bible study, and again, like what Quan was saying, we were sharing our you know prayer requests and. Then next thing you know, like we're both sharing, like, you know, a little nervous about, you know, taking Quan and his friend and Quan was nervous about this person that he has never even met. And then it just clicked somehow for me because yeah, I was like, literally looking at Quan when he was explaining this to me and I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> What's your mom's name again? He told me he told me her name. And, and then and I, I looked like, at him and I was like, wait. Hold on, what? <laughs> and then it just clicked for us. And I was like, I'm the person that's supposed to be taking you home, you and your friend home for Thanksgiving. And we we're like, wait, what? <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah. So the next thing you know, ever since then, uh, we've been really close friends. Yeah. Ever since ne- that one road that trip. That was November. And we had already met each other back in October because that's when I joined the, the Bible study. So um we both thought we were going to be meeting strangers but we already had known each other Mm -hmm. which was you know it's crazy let me tell you Quan was a real one too because i actually just got my wisdom teeth pulled do you remember that i just got my wisdom teeth pulled like literally that day and i was already upset because i was worried i wasn't going to be able to eat thanksgiving dinner and so did, wait, did you? I did. I okay. did. Yeah, it was fine. <laughs> I can't but, remember. <laughs> <laughs> because we got we got there a couple days before actual Thanksgiving. Yeah. But um but I remember I was driving and then I started getting really woozy and really dizzy. It was dark. It was late and uh and I was there's blood everywhere from from my wisdom teeth being taken out and so Quan took over for that last hour or so and yeah you had your car's name was ivory it was it was a, a white jaguar, jaguar. yeah oh my goodness that baby rode so smooth it was I beautiful. remember being so upset when you got rid of that car <laughs> but I needed to get rid of it because it was I, breaking down I, bad. I was so upset yes yes um, yeah it was ivory 
So learning a little bit more about us and who we are, if you haven't been able to figure out by the banter, by the kikis, um, (laughs) by the tongue pops and everything in between, we're both queer black men. Yes. Um, And so obviously our experiences with at Liberty and within the evangelical circles and conservative circles um, have been interesting ones and ones with varying levels uh degrees of hostility um i again i came to liberty in 2012 as a student um and then i actually started working for the university in 2013 as a student worker and then moved to full time uh in 2014 i worked in three different areas um information technology uh, student advocate office. I worked there in a retention office and then uh, in the office of equity and inclusion, which, as you can imagine, came with its own hassles <laughs> um, yeah. while being at Liberty. I think when I first got there um, as a student, it was it was it was college. It was acclimating to that experience. It was getting to know friends. The, I, I always tell people the hardest part for me wasn't learning to do schoolwork. Um, at the collegiate level uh, or learning independence because I was already a pretty independent person. The hard part for me was learning to live with other people. Um, <laughs> my mom, I was having issues with my roommate one time. My mom called me and she goes, Quan, uh, um, the reason you're having these problems isn't them. It is you. You're selfish. <laughs> <laughs> and your mom was, literally told me that during a phone call conversation <laughs> one time because she was worried about you and um, i was like yeah that's exactly how he is like right. all the time and all the time so yeah like and uh, and obviously these experiences have shaped and molded us to who we are um but i'll go ahead and let thomas talk a little bit about you know kind of his journey through liberty and, and what's brought him to you know where he is right now yeah i mean it's, it's some some of a similar some of a similar experience um, for me as well but you know in my time in being there i didn't i i honestly god didn't hate it like i really enjoyed mm-hmm. you know the people that i got to meet the hall um or the halls that I was on and the major I was in, mm-hmm. like I enjoyed, I had a really great experience while I was there, at least as a student, like when it came to, you know, student life. And and similarly to Quan, like I grew up in predominantly white spaces um, as well, well predom- let me, I'm sorry, grew up in predominantly conservative spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I can't speak for Quan, but I know for me, I grew up in predominantly white uh, conservative spaces when it comes to my church, um, like even like the first part of my high school experience was part of that, I mean, that was part of it as well. And then of course, you know, being at Liberty. Um, And so, you know, my experiences um, are also, you know, different than probably a lot of like people that are within my community, within within, uh, our black community. so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I had a good time while I was there. Um, and then after I graduated, uh, like I said before, I was part of a gospel choir, directed a gospel choir officially. Y'all, they called for, him Kirk Franklin. They did on Y'all, the conversation. And, Do you and remember? convocation. Yes. Do you they remember that in convocation? Because oh, that, was, that was the year. I remember 
<laughs> we did Total Praise. Yeah, that's a good song. We did well. Well, it is a great song. I have. I have PTSD of that song now. Like we sang that song for LU Praise. I don't even. They're still singing that song in the team, and it's been over ten years. But um, but yeah, I. <laughs> That was that really was an experience being a, being part of that team. I remember even being in convocation. A ceiling tile fell in the middle of the Vine Center. Yeah. I remember, um, yeah, being called Kirk Franklin every single time. Elliot Praise actually, honestly, was on that stage. Something bad happened. It was awful. Maybe um, it was a sign from God, <laughs> and y'all still haven't received it. But that's a whole other conversation. Anyway, so yeah, so after. Uh, I was done with LU Praise um, in 2011. Uh, I was forced to resign, and I came back in 2012. And when I came back, I started in a resident admissions office, and that's again, that's how I met Quan. And then I moved over to recruitment, uh, and then eventually I end up over in the office of spiritual development. Um, and so it's been quite a journey, even professionally, uh, in my experience there at the school too. So I love that you talked about your your experience as a student versus that of a a staff member, a part of the the organism that is uh, Liberty University, because the best way I can explain it to people is um, <clears throat> that that common saying of like eating sausage or hot dogs versus seeing how they're made, mm-hmm. like yum, delicious at a cookout, gross. Let me up Chuck in the factory because mm. when you see everything that goes into making it, you're like, this is this is really gross. It's crazy you mentioned that because I did a comms one on one speech as a student. I did a persuasive speech on why not to eat hot dogs. <laughs> I was very successful. <laughs> well, listen, you don't have to convince me. I don't. You come to my cookout. You won't see a dog or a hot. Okay? <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate that. <laughs> Girl, um, but no, but no. Seriously, there there yeah. really is a difference between the student experience and the professional experience and working there. When you start seeing a lot of like, the inner workings, and I think that's the case probably at any school. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, you know, because in a way, you're trying to sell the school to the stakeholders that are looking to invest into the school. Um, but you need to have the the professionals, the people that are doing all that work. You know, it's not glamorous, but um, but you do have all those people that are doing all the work to actually produce that you mm-hmm. know, for that student experience. And sometimes it is not the most glamorous thing. But yeah, there really is a difference between the two. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, <clears throat> why did you, why did you leave? What, I left, like what, yeah. What what made you leave Liberty? Yeah, at least like most recently. Uh, I assume that's what you're asking. Um, so yeah, I sent my resignation letter officially on June the third, and the reason why I left um, was due to um, the racial remarks that were made by the university president. And through tweets, through on social media, through tweets, um, an image was used um, that had um, an image of a Ku Klux Klan member as well as blackface. And this image was used a couple years ago against the Virginia governor, Governor Northam. And 
there was there was a whole investigation, there's a whole thing that was going on um, behind all of that, and we're not going to get into all that because that's really not what the point of this is. But um, but mainly due to the racial insensitivities um, by the university president um, in using that image to make political moves or to make a political punch was the reason why I decided to resign. I I I couldn't continue to serve under the leadership of the university president and be conflicted about serving in roles that will have me that has me closer to him and serving in those roles. Um, it was an internal conflict, but it was but more than that, it just hurt. Yeah. It was very, very hurtful. Um, and then even shortly after seeing those tweets, you know, there was a refusal to apologize. Mm -hmm. And there were more tweets that were part of that thread that said that he doesn't want to apologize for that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it wasn't, I think maybe like a week later was when he finally, you know, didn't make his apology tweets. Um, I, I haven't looked at the timeline, but, um, but then, I mean, it was already too late at that point. So mm -hmm. I, I already submitted my resignation by June 3rd. Uh, what was your reason? Yeah. Um, I actually, um, I've, I've, I've not expected much from Jerry for a while. I've, I feel like Jerry has let the university know um, and the world know. Forget the university. He, he let the world know a long time ago that he doesn't care about um, anyone or their feelings when political expediency is at hand. And so if he can take a situation and use it for political gain, monetary gain, he's going to use it regardless of who's in his way. Uh, he's, he's consistently shown that through his track record. So no one should have been surprised or shocked by this situation. Like, yes, it was an entirely new low for Jerry, but just similarly to his idol and bestie, uh, President Trump, he continues to try to outdo himself and um, like bring himself to a new low each time. So that dealing with people like that, um, I I don't get shocked anymore. I think you and I were talking a couple weeks ago and you said exactly what was on my mind. You weren't shocked, but you were disappointed. And that's exactly how I felt. What made me leave was seeing the university not hold him accountable mm -hmm. for this new low. Mm -hmm. And specifically in my role, as I explained it to um, my, my boss's boss, the chief diversity officer's boss, when I handed in my letter of resignation, I cannot be in my job that holds along with it a moral obligation. I don't think I said my official title yet, but I was the director of diversity retention. My job is to tell brown and black and women um, and um, disabled students to stay at this university and to come and to cre and curate an inclusive environment for them. I can't do that when I'm actively being worked against by my administration. Mm -hmm. And I can't of good sound moral conscience tell people to send their kids here and that I can take care of them and protect them if I know that the university doesn't allow me to actually do so. Yeah. And so um, 
I, I explained, I said, you know, I actually told him, I said, at this point, I'm more of a liability to the university than an asset because I cannot get along with the program of not doing anything. And I have to do something to protect my students. And you're telling me not to do anything. And with that being said, I have to cut ties with you now mm-hmm. um, because then I will lose my integrity as a as a man, as as a employee here, as someone who tries to keep up a good work ethic. And uh, thankfully, that executive vice president I spoke to recognized that. He he appreciated it. He said, you know, Quan, I'm a white man. I don't understand exactly how you feel, but I appreciate you being honest. Mm-hmm. And, 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 like, and to be clear, this this executive vice president at the time was 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 he was he above the he was, he was above the chief he was diversity above the, officer the who was a black man who said he didn't think we should do anything about this because yeah. he is always worried about how white people at the university will perceive his efforts as a chief diversity officer but also he has a lot of internalized racism that he tries to project onto other people he does not enjoy being a black man and he makes that very evident and clear in his interactions with people yeah um and so and, and, and if you know me, you know I never want to see a black man fail. I think that there are enough people out there who, like, as a society, we're, we're already working against people of color. We're already working against black men and women. And there are enough challenges there that we don't need to work against each other. Um, and so I very rarely will speak negatively about another black man in public. I may come to you in private and say, hey, bro, I don't think what you did there was right. And I've done that with with Greg Dow on several different occasions. But I could not could not get in line with this one and could not tell my students to stay, could not tell them that this was a safe environment, knowing that election season is right around the corner and the university has no accountability for Jerry. The university has no type of strategic plan. The chief diversity officer has no interest in protecting the minority students he's entrusted with, and they are going to experience even more harm and pain this upcoming fall. I could not do it. I can't have students come and cry in my office and me as a, the director of diversity retention, who's supposed to be protecting them, advocating for them, have my hands tied. I could not do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, and I explained, I said, very few people know what it's like to be a black man working at a predominantly white institution, evangelical, um, and to be grieving actively with the rest of my community as we watch our brothers and sisters die in the streets and they they play what i call trauma porn over and over and over again on Mm -hmm. every possible platform they can showing our our black lives dying being slaughtered being murdered um without any regard for our mental health um you can't scroll down social media without seeing videos or pictures of that happening when that when that reporter was killed on live TV a couple years ago, they quickly took that footage down everywhere. Yeah, we we see our lives mm-hmm. um, expire before us frequently, and that adds to our trauma and to that racial trauma for for why you felt that way about that tweet and why so many other people felt that way about that tweet. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to on top of that, have to come back to work and be professional. Yeah. Conduct yourself accordingly, get your work done, stay on task, and then 
be told in an office where I'm already inundated with these type of issues, like not to do something and not to do my job. I have a moral responsibility and I could, I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, in the, in the midst of everything that was going, that's been going on with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then we, uh, then the narrative shifts to where African-Americans are the ones that are most vulnerable when it comes to this virus Mm -hmm. that's going around. And on top of that, you know, mandating everyone to wear masks, Mm -hmm. you know, so, but you know, in our, in our minds, we're like, oh, well, since we're most susceptible, you know, to, getting that virus you know of course we have to be the ones that have to take the extra precautions um but then on top of that we're hearing about the stories of you know Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor Mm -hmm. and then uh George Floyd like all within a week Mm -hmm. or a weekend honestly I mean I, I just remember um, and, and mind you guys, like this was just a couple weeks ago. Memorial Day weekend was when all the stuff started breaking mm-hmm. on on all the major media outlets and on social media. You know, you you hear about Amon, you hear about Brianna, you hear about this Amy Cooper chick, then you um, hear about George Floyd, and then you also hear about this other man, this other you know white man Tom, whatever. Um, you know coming against these three black entrepreneur men who work in the same building as he does, you know, basically pulling another Amy Cooper and, um, and all of this happening over the course of Memorial day weekend, even a couple days, even after all that, all within the span of a week. Um, and then, but then like you're saying, you continue to see the cycle of these videos everywhere, everywhere. And, it was, and I've been telling people this, it was probably the most difficult two weeks that I have ever experienced emotionally. I I've agree. never, I've never experienced over a period of time mm-hmm. so much emotional movement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Days where, where you'd be angry, mm-hmm. you'd be tired, mm-hmm. you'd be sad mm-hmm. you'll be confused and then tired again under misunderstood tired again mm-hmm. you're trying to like i wanted to sleep just to get away mm-hmm. and i remember even one day um where i just slept i think i slept four or five times in that day i took four or five naps within one day because all i wanted to do was just get away it's from cute. all the from all the mess but you just couldn't you just couldn't. Um, and when you when like our primary means of communicating, uh, when we're not around each other, Quan, us and our friend group, you know, we have our little Facebook messenger groups. Everybody has them. Everyone has a group of friends uh, that they, you know, message. And, you know, you couldn't even do that because, you know, there's just things everywhere, even on 
Facebook timelines, Twitter, Instagrams, um, hashtags are everywhere. Like, like it I was said, the trauma porn is everywhere. It like you will is never insane. you will never not be reminded as a black person in this country um, just how dispensable your life is. Right. Yeah. Um, and like my nephew walking, I will never forget this as long as I live. My nephew walking into the living room to me. Um, and I was in the middle of watching some, um, I, I think it was like nailed it on Netflix, you know, some yeah, random show to just like get away <laughs> from it all. And my nephew walks in there and he's like, um, uncle Kwan, who's Ahmaud Arbery and why is everyone talking about him? And in my, my entire chest shifting yeah. and knowing that I have to go and talk to my little bud and tell him who Ahmaud Arbery is, what's going on, and have to answer questions like, but why haven't they done anything? Or why did they do that? Mm -hmm. And explaining how sometimes people see our very skin color in existence as a threat. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and you weren't the only one either. There are families all over the world who've mm -hmm. had to explain that to to like their kid or their yeah. nephew or their niece, you know, kids like um, all over the world who don't, even the ones who didn't even understand it yet or even can't even comprehend it because all they can see is like, who are these black people who are now gone? I don't understand what's going on. Um, such a, it's just such a sad reality. Um, and well, a life that we have to live. A lot really of people. Is. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, a lot of people will ask, <clears throat> like, as a as a black person, like, how do you feel? What's going on? Trying to get our perspective. And I think the best way that I can put it is from one of um, my icons, uh, James Baldwin. If you, I thought you were about to say Beyonce. Oh. <laughs> I was like. Yes, Beyonce is one of my icons. Yes, Miss Sasha like, Fierce is, is. I was like, what did sis say? But, um, yeah, okay, side note. I wanted this episode to start with an introduction by Freedom from Beyonce, but then I was told that copyright laws prohibit that. So um, when you go back and re-listen to this episode, I'd like you to go ahead, go ahead and play and, that and, first and on hit, your Spotify. Yeah, press play on Freedom and then like fade it out a little bit, like turn down the volume a little bit and then start listening to the Come episode. Come on, be your own producer. So be your own be your producer. producer. <laughs> Make the episode what you want it to be, How okay? <laughs> Thank you, Wendy. Um, so, oh, sorry. A, a lot of people. James Baldwin. I'm yes, sorry. James Baldwin. One of my icons. If you don't know who he is, get to know him. Um, activist, author, um, queer icon, black man, black excellence, black wonderfulness. Um, get into him. Get read. Get educated. Um, but he said it best. To be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious, relatively conscious, mm -hmm. is to be in a rage almost all the time. Mm -hmm. To even be sort of aware mm -hmm. of your place in this nation as a black person is to always be in a rage. That's why... I'll be frank. People are upset about their property. Um, these stores being torn down. Da, da, da. 
And I'm like, I would surely love for y'all to get that upset about my life. Right. I would sure love to for y'all to get that upset about, um, you know, these laws that are set up in a justice system literally, that is set up literally. to be against me. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear you talk about how, like, the reason that black neighborhoods are the way that they are and are so disadvantaged is because of redlining of districts. I would love for you to talk about how there are educational disparities. I would love how you, for you to talk about how there are healthcare disparities and then be that upset. Mm-hmm. Um, to be frank, you should be upset or you should be thankful that black people only want equality and not revenge. Right. Like somebody said that to me this past week, and mm-hmm. I was like, "You, you right." Said it, sister said it on on a video. Yeah, like like she said, like at the end that you're lucky yeah. that um, you're lucky that that's all we want is equality, equality, and not revenge. Right. And then she just walks off because because literally, like I mean, if we if if we wanted revenge, Bloop. this country probably would not even be here anymore. Bloop. Because because that, that's, that's what Nicki Minaj built, we call a Fendi fact. Who built? Because who built this country? If who literally took their hands, right. their physical hands, and right. actually built this entire country? I think that's what upsets me so much when people are like, "Y'all don't want equality. Y'all just want to get special rights. You just want to get ahead. You just want to." And I'm like, if you had half of the awareness education and knowledge of what people of color have been through in this country, the systems of oppression that America is built on, you would realize how ignorant that statement is. Yeah. You would realize how your very existence typically as a white person in America, I'm talking to our our white listeners now, your very existence is built on the oppression of other people. And you may Mm -hmm. say, oh, well, I'm not rich and I grew up poor and da, da, da. I spoke to someone today or um, the day I was uh, the other day when I was moving out of my office, he uh, was resigning from his position very high up at Liberty. He um, has been there almost since their inception. Mm -hmm. He is part of the very DNA and fabric of Liberty. Um, Typical privilege, like poster boy for privilege, like white male. And we're talking and he's asking me why I'm leaving. And I'm, I'm telling him and, and he gets it and he says, you know, Quan, I didn't really understand before what white privilege was. He's like, you know, I grew up hard, having a hard life and not having as much money. And I just thought white privilege was a lie and a sham because I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. But now that I'm learning more and educating myself on these systems, that made it easier for me to have boots to pull straps on Mm -hmm. and that some people don't have those boots to pull straps up. Right. Because we have, our society has made it to where it is hard for them to even get into the store to go purchase boots to pull up their straps. Facts. Okay. You know, or to get the money to go, you know, and like Mm -hmm. all of that. And I appreciate that so much because it was like, you get it. You see, it's not just about whether or not we work hard. I can guarantee you the black successful people that you see in your life and around you and on magazines, they have to work two to three times harder Harder, than their white counterparts. Longer. Yes. Yeah. Endure racism and not speak out because if you do, you're considered as a a threat, problematic, Mm -hmm. disrespectful. Mm -hmm. 
So I won't go on that tangent too long, but just uh, know. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I was just, I was just saying because um, there was a conversation um, that I even had with um, with a friend, and I basically explained to them like. Like we can, we can both have grow up in the, we can both have like the same upbringing. We can be mm-hmm. in the same, um, we can be even be in the same household. If you know, um, there's, there's a white friend of mine. We can even be in the same household with the same parents. Um, Hashtag this is us. Right. And still just simply because of the color of my skin, I would not have the same opportunities forwarded to me as my white brother. If, have if, to we, work if we for were. them. Right. Yeah. I mean we we have to cut we have to afforded the same grace. Right. Right. I mean I mean you gotta also think about like how like this is us is also it's a great show. It explains that I think very well over the course of the entire over the course of the entire show. But um but I that's why I think like my parents low key raised us in in a predominantly white space because they knew like this is the this is the way where they can at least try to at least they'll be in a better position than maybe some of my um other fellow black community which, members. Which is sad because it is, you- yeah are conditioning black children from the start. Nothing against your parents. I love your parents. You know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But this is just something that the black community has struggled with for a while. You start to condition your children to at an early age already learn how can we best fit white standards? How can we best appease white people in order to make a living, to get ahead in life, Mm -hmm. to be almost like tying your worth to that of like white acceptance. Yeah, it's it's it, it is a sad reality in parts, but I mean my parents like they grew up in Philly mm-hmm. and um and um both both of them grew up poor uh and they've seen some stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad, he um I mean he he was he was actually brought under the wing of of like the Jewish mafia of Philly. Um, so he learned a lot under them. Um, but maybe just explain some of your dad jokes, like your dad's jokes. Oh my gosh. What you talk about his corny jokes that he learned. Yes. Oh gosh. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, maybe he's but, drawing off of his experiences, but I love it. But I love it though. Cause it absolutely is hilarious. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, I'm just, I guess I was just saying like, it, it is a sad reality that, you know, in order for us to even have even just the thought of being able to be successful, like we have to be in a completely different environment. Right. And we have to be that that will be accepting of us. And. Um, and so, like. It was hard, at least for me in my, in my upbringing, you know, you know, I'm like in my late teens, in my early 20s and. You know, it was like when I, that's when I was starting to to realize, like, wait a minute, something is something is not a hundred percent lining up, and so um, so I was a bit of a late bloomer in really like understanding 
what all was going on. And in know? those spaces, you're taught like like what is your reference for for beauty for um for what's good and what's right what's wrong it's often whatever white society or culture is telling you is beautiful or what is right and what's wrong and what's okay and what's not um i had the interesting experience of of growing up throughout the school year in predominantly like white conservative evangelical spaces you know southern um and then during the summer, being with my family in a very small town called Maxton, North Carolina, uh, we make the joke, if you blink, you'll miss it, um, but very, like, black-rooted churches that have been there for, you know, a mm. century or more, um, and, the, like, the, the differences, the juxtaposition could not be greater. Yeah. Um, one affirmed my blackness. And the other one told me things like, you know, we don't use drums because drums come from Africa and they were being used for like demonic practices and things like that. And mm -hmm. just like statements like that within church can make you feel uncomfortable about your own blackness, but it's done in the name of God. Yeah. And so you feel like you can't argue with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so sinister how like white supremacy is woven and ingrained throughout every bit of our existence in society mm -hmm. and the one thing that was like the turning point when i started realizing okay something is not right um it was when someone told me that it doesn't matter how much you try to conform yourself to white society whether it be through clothes, whether it be through beauty standards, like you said, whether it be through how you um, how you clean up, how you shape up, you know, it doesn't doesn't matter. Like even be, even being called like because you know I've been called known being like an Oreo or or being you know the uh oh and the uh oh Oreo, you know, all those microaggressions, you know, that kind of come with it. You know, it really didn't hit home until. I was told you can work as hard as you can to try and conform to white spaces or to white people, but you will still never be seen as equal. You still never be enough. Jay-Z said it best in his song story of OJ. Okay. I don't know what Spotify's rules are on words. So I'm just, <laughs> but, but yeah. So yeah. So, oh, no, I was talking about the lyrics in that song. Yeah, y'all go look it up. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but th but that's what I was told. I was like, "You will never be enough. You will never you will never fit equally with everyone because the system isn't meant for you to." Exactly. If the system were to do that, then it wouldn't be working as it was intended. Right. Um. A lot of people are asking how we feel, and I think that James Baldwin quote sums it up best, but I think furthermore you should know the black people in your life are tired. Mm -hmm. Let me say it again. We are tired. Mm -hmm. We are exhausted. We are tired. We are exhausted. In case you didn't hear me the other times, okay? We are grieving. A lot of people, and I, I get that you're well-meaning, White people who are listening, I get that you're well-meaning with this next thing. 
We see your heart's intent, but go, re, please refer back to point one. We are tired. We cannot be responsible to educate any longer. Yeah. We Google everything else. We YouTube it. We Google. We research. Oh, uh, my car radio won't work. Let me Google this. Um, how late is the store open? Let me Google that. Um, how do I propagate a plant or grow grow this type of plant? Or how do I how do I fix this? How do I craft that? I had, he listen, became a plant dad. Uh, I am a plant dad. <laughs> oh, I am pandemic. a plant dad. Straight so. from my plants. Right. <laughs> Did he really? <laughs> I showed him some very shriveled up basil. Right. It, it's okay. So I have I have a I have a white coworker who. She works in the Office of Equity and Inclusion, right? She's worked there for over six years at this point. She, when she took over as acting executive director, said she didn't know the definition of institutional racism, but she didn't think it pertinent to her role, okay? Acting executive director of the Office of Equity and Inclusion. That, I want you to know, is an example of white privilege. You have the privilege of deciding whether or not you can concern yourself with matters of race. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't have that privilege. Mm-hmm. And she, <laughs> but she would spend hours upon hours upon hours on and off the clock researching DIY projects, researching tiny homes, researching moving to other states, researching <laughs> all of this different stuff. And I get, we all have our different things, but riddle me this. You can research all those things that make you feel comfortable and that make you feel good about life. Why can't you research anything about institutional racism or um, about the systems of oppression Mm -hmm. in our nation or about the plight of black people? Mm -hmm. Why why burden your already burdened black friends by asking them to explain things that they are like that they not only have had to live but are literally leave, living and grieving through right now. Right. Please refer back to point one. Mm-hmm. We are tired. Right. And I can't tell you how many times I've ignored people. Oh, yes. I was just like, yes, there, there was there was a point where I, I think we said this in our group chat. We're like, we don't want to hear nor see nor be around white people for oh. For however many days. Oh, there was a solid week there. I put I put white people on lock. I said, nope, I'm sorry. Right. Um, I I locked my office door at work. I didn't didn't respond to text messages. I I I, there was a day when I came I came into work and and I knew that um, uh, the executive housekeeper that I work with. Um, she is phenomenal black woman. She's like, she's like a mom. Mm -hmm. Like I knew what day she was going to be in. So I intentionally went on that day and I was like, I know I'll be in good company. Like just like, even though she's working and you know, I'll be working. Um, but I knew I can just be in there and just be, and just be fine. And I have to worry about seeing anybody. And I even had a conversation with another, um, black coworker of mine. She works in another office, and we just sat there for four hours, and we just processed everything. Yeah, uh, because we have to. We have to. We 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 couldn't even do that even through text messages, like because because we were just so because we were grieving so much. But just sometimes just being in the very presence of somebody else and actually talking out talking this out with somebody, and you know, and being on that same field. Like was just everything. And I want to stop here for a moment for anyone who's ever struggled to understand what white privilege is. This is what, again, what white privilege is. You have the ability 
of whether or not to deal and confront the racial climate in our nation. You have the ability to decide whether or not you're going to step in or step out of them or deal with them or not deal with them. People who are of color, who are black, do not have that luxury. We don't have the luxury of deciding, oh, well, today I'm not black, so I don't have to deal with this or how it affects me. Unless you're Candace Owens. Girl. But we're not going to talk about Candace. <laughs> girl, if you don't leave that gremlin with burnt edges, let me make this a PSA for everyone to understand. All length <laughs> is not good length. If you have a foot of split ends, girl, cut it. Let it go, let it go, let it go. It ain't meant for you. Go get you some uh, castor oil. Get you some good argan oil. Get you, um, you know, honestly, some shea butter and some coconut oil. Probably do. You need oil. You need moisture. You need moisture. You need to find yourself a good hairstylist who take care of you because... She's Whatever you're doing, you're killing it. Dry. Okay? Dry. <laughs> it looks like it. it look, Dry. I, I've had the you unfortunate. Bl- you blow on her, you see dust. <laughs> I had the unfortunate, the unfortunate dishonor of meeting Miss Owens herself in person. And when I tell you, you think her hair looks brittle. And dry and cracked so on screen. You look at it and you just be afraid. I'm gonna cut my finger if I touch it. Don't get too close to me. You just you it. I don't have time for anybody. I can't who can't, you. who can't look at their own hair in the mirror and know how to moisturize it or take care of it. You can't tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing. <laughs> okay. And if any of y'all are out there emulating Candace Owens, I want you to think about this. You are emulating somebody. <laughs> you are listening to somebody who don't even oh. know how to take care of their own hair. Child. Girl. All length is not good length. That was our PSA. That was our helpful tip for today. You are Say welcome. Say it with me at home. Are you at home listening? <laughs> All length is not good length. <laughs> It's not healthy. I'm sorry. I cut you off. I forgot what I was even talking about, girl, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> I just... Okay, we'll move on. But yes, we, we are tired. We, we are, are We are tired. I know. We're like, we're, we're, you know, doing a podcast and we're, you know, kicking and we're laughing, but... Um, but don't be fooled. Like this, this is actually even just like a small like relief in yeah. the midst of like a of long weeks of just grieving and processing and um like there have been very few minimal times when we've been able to just even laugh like this because you know because so much has been going on but i think common said it best black boy joy is or in black joy is the um best expression of of rebellion Mm -hmm. in some regards in that like while the whole world is trying to literally put in your face how little your life has value. If you can still find those pockets and moments where you can laugh and be in community with each other and love on one another and find healing and that and that joy mm-hmm. that you that you bring out of one another, that is that too is an act of rebellion mm-hmm. because you're letting the world know you don't get to have every part of me. 
Mm-hmm. You don't get to break me down completely. Mm-hmm. Um, That's why when you see some of these protests on socials, on the social media, or or even I'm not sure if it's been on TV. I don't watch much TV, um, but when you see some of these protests and you see these large crowds of black people dancing, people who are um, you know, speaking poetry, people who mm-hmm. are having cookouts and barbecues yes. during protests. Like for real, I'm hungry. <laughs> right, and, and you know we could cook. Yes. Um. Well, not everybody, but Quan, you I know you can cook. But um. But it's those moments, like like what Quan is saying, like it's those moments that 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 can't be taken away from us. And you won't. And there's no way you will. And you won't. And what's also crazy is that we can, like, we still even can, you know, allow other people who don't understand in to understand come on over right come on over we have listen there may not be any ribs left and mac and cheese may be gone but as i call them the cold casseroles will still be there you can still have potato salad you can still have macaroni salad all of those things that they call salads but are really just cold casseroles you can have those (laughs) yes um If you, okay, what I will say to you is this. If you are a well-meaning white person out there and you're like, but also where do I start? Okay, cool. I got you. I got you, girl. Listen, go check out the 13th. Check on, go check out the 13th on Netflix. Check out When They See Us um, and read the book, The New Jim Crow. These are all excellent resources and great places for you to start. Um, Netflix actually, I'm not sure if you've seen this, mm -hmm. but Netflix actually, like if you were to log off, and then log back in. I believe that it'll do this. You gotta log but, off. And then what? And then log back in. Okay. Make sure you remember your password. But Or your cousin's password you stole. Or however, however you're stealing um, Netflix. Um, they actually have a full collection. Um, you, you can probably find it. You probably don't even have to log out. You can just go and search it. But there's a collection um, of all these movies, documentaries, docu-series. I think if you by, search BLM. I think so. I think yeah. I think that's what it's called. Um, I haven't a chance. To, I haven't had a chance to actually look through it just yet. But there is like like Netflix has actually curated um, an entire collection of resources that are really really good. Girl, you ain't even got a Google. That's not the help. That's not the help. Do not watch. Do that not David. watch that. Um, Viola Davis even says, "Don't watch that." She actually regrets. Do that, not but watch not- black movies. Or quote unquote black movies where the main character is still the the white savior. That no, stop. Yeah, that's, stop. That's not it. Stop it right now. But take, that's just to make you feel better, and it's not an accurate representation or depiction of our story. The same mm-hmm. for hidden figures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's. Although I, although I'm not gonna lie, I do love um, Taraji and Janelle Taraji, Monet yes, and yes. Octavia Spencer, and let's get they're all they're all, they're all phenomenal, phenomenal. Yes. Um, but no, take a look, take a look we're at that curated list. <laughs> we're we're hella problematic. I'm just putting it out there. Um, <laughs> He's problematic. Um, I'm, I didn't do anything wrong. So continue scratching your edges. But uh, <laughs> before I come for your hair as well. I got my hair cut the other day, so don't try. Did to you take it. the cap off? I, I will. I go bald though, but there's still this it, hair grows back. Uh, yes, it does. It does grow yes, back. It, and again, <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
all length is not good length. Hair grows back. Keep that in I mind. Hate you. Cut it. Uh, but no, again, take a look at that curate list that Netflix put together. Um, Can I we think hashtag this episode or like name it like all length is not good length? Can I make that request? <laughs> That'll be a I don't great know if I'm episode title. <laughs> all length is not good length. Yes. Okay, perfect. Right. <laughs> um, if you are white and you are trying to figure out how you can help, here are some things that I personally feel like are helpful. Um, and it's not the end all be all list. There are plenty of ways that you can help understand that everyone has their lane. Everyone has their way to help. Um, learn to advocate for policies and political agendas that uh, don't just yes. affect you. Our entire yes. nation is engineered to protect you. Trust me. It's literally like in the DNA of our nation, like it's ingrained ain't in it, our it, nation. Like in one of the amendments, like like, like, <laughs> like white people gonna be all right. That's the that's the first one. It's the it's it's one A. Um, and so it said we the people, but in between there is say we the white people gonna be all right. So um, and, research and, and, it. Like trust me, research your, it. Your rights are not going. In, get a magnifying glass. Um. Your rights are not going anywhere. I promise you, you're going to be okay. If you vote for some policies that help alleviate communities of color that have been under systems of oppression for so long, trust me, trust me, America is not going to let anything happen to white people. You can you can rest for a little bit on your agenda because right now what's happening, if you really look at it, when people are arguing in, in like the political spheres... It's like like rich liberal white people and rich conservative white people arguing for whose rights are going to get what. And then occasionally they'll sprinkle in, we love the blacks, we love the gays, mm -hmm. we love the Latinas and the Latinos. And like they'll sprinkle that in to be like, oh, also vote for us. But mm -hmm. it's really like, trust me, white people, you'll be all right. Um, that includes your local school board. That includes your city council. That includes every you know, everything, level. Every, every level. level. Look at the schools in your neighborhood that are underserved. Are they predominantly black? Talk to your school board. Mm -hmm. Get them some updated materials. Use your voice for good. Don't just be an ally by, by hashtagging something. Be a co-conspirator. And understand that you don't get that title lightly. You have to do the work. That means that you have to stand up for for, for black people, for people of color, mm -hmm. call out racism. You have to be anti-racist and you have if you see it, stop it. This goes for in person, online, at functions, everywhere, in a workplace, fam, ev everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um and so you need to be active. Everyone's lane is different. Remember that. But also, I, I want you to also understand this point because, you know, we're on an entertainment podcast. This podcast is usually, you know, reserved to talk about music and, you know, the wonderful entertainment that it brings. Um, a lot of our entertainment and culture comes from the creation and the um, ingenuity and the imagination of black, black people, people. Mm -hmm. do not let me say this again do not consume our culture even the whitewashed versions of our culture that were taken from from black roots do not consume our culture 
and not want to value or protect our lives. And that includes mm-hmm. queer black lives. That, inc- mm-hmm. that That is wrapped in there as well. Mm-hmm. If you're celebrating Pride this month, but you are not talking about how important Marsha P. Johnson was to that, mm-hmm. then you're not celebrating Pride. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 pretty much what I have to say. I want <clears throat> to say, um, to me, the the biggest issue when it come when when everything comes down to it is the humanity of people. Mm-hmm. Where does the humanity of people? lie in your priority list do you value businesses more than people do you value music more than people mm-hmm. do you value education more than people do you do you value safety and protection more than people if or perceived safety and protection. Let me just say or that, that too. There's that too. The, yep. that, the, those those because there there are um, those false perceptions as well, or there are those perceptions as well. Because our skin All color is not mirrors. a threat. But my big thing is that is that where does simple humanity lie? And I'm not and I'm not just you know talking to people who aren't believers in Jesus. I'm talking about people who are believers in Jesus as well. Conservative people who might be out there. Um, evangelical people who might be out there anywhere, honestly. Everybody. Where does the value of people come in? And if anything, if anything, besides God, if anything is a higher priority of value than people is, then you're part of the problem. Bloop. You can cut it right there. And because I honestly, God can just cannot understand or even comprehend why life is less important than anything that's going on out here. I literally cannot understand that. And it doesn't it doesn't matter to me. You know what the color of your skin is, how young, how old you are. You know, people are people, and just because we're black doesn't make us any less of a human being than anybody else. But that's the war that we're fighting. That's literally the the war that is happening under everything. That's undergirding everything. That's going on right and, now. And why do I have to explain the value of my humanity to you? Why do I have to say I was? Why does it even have to be? Why does that have to be a question? Well, right. Like, why do I have to say, oh, like I was an upstanding citizen, or I was doing this, or and like and like people are like, oh, well, he used to be a drug dealer, or he used to do this, and da da da, and uh, it does not matter. It does not matter. We're supposed to have presumed innocence. Right. Like that's that's what our legal system is based off of. Like everybody gets a fair chance. Hmm. And, you know, that's a lie. So why why try to dehumanize me when I ask for justice? Hmm. That's that's honestly, that's just the big question. 
Yeah. That that is the question that we continue to ask ourselves. And once you start aligning and you understand that God's most precious creation, mm. human beings, on, humanity man. is of top priority. All right. It's going to be at that moment when I really do truly believe that we'll start seeing change. Okay. But until we get there and unfortunately I'm not, I'm not <laughs> optimistic that that will happen in my lifetime, but, um, but I just challenge all of the, all of the listeners, you know, to really think about just basic humanity. Yeah. Basic human life. Okay. Right. And if, if you think I'm a, if you think I'm a criminal, let the judge decide that. Mm-hmm. Even though criminal justice reform is a whole conversation for another time, but don't let my life just be lost in the middle of the streets. Right. Right. Well, I'm crying out for my mama who's dead. That's our reality, guys. Um, I can I can I plug something? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to also plug at this point the LU Underground Railroad. It is a GoFundMe project that I started to help get Liberty employees and faculty who are of color out of a very unhealthy environment, um, uh, an environment that perpetuates racial trauma, unapologetically so. Um, You can find it on GoFundMe. You can find it on my Facebook page. Again, my name is Quan McLaurin. Uh, Q-U-A-N, last name McLaurin, M-C-L-A-U-R-I-N. Handles are Quan2994. Not saying that because I want followers, but saying that because we need people to help come around. Those of us who just need assistance getting to a healthier space. Mm -hmm. Nobody should have to deal with workplace and racial trauma while trying to earn a living. So Mm -hmm. um, putting that out there, thank you for letting us be vulnerable with you, be open. Again, Bethann, Leah, you guys are amazing. We love you. We appreciate you. Um, This is your one year anniversary and you allowed us to come on here and just F things up and we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Player, wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, I want to give such a special thank you to Quan and Thomas. You guys are just absolute incredible human beings and thank you so much um, for talking about your experiences in such a vulnerable vulnerable way in a beautiful way too you can like us on facebook or you can find us on instagram at she will rock you podcast we're also on twitter at she will rock the letter u pod um, you also can follow us individually at Beth Ann Tarpley and at LeahElizabeth.J. Um, you also can send an email at SheWillRockYouPodcast at gmail.com. Also, I wanted to give this opportunity after listening to this episode. I hope you're just encouraged and challenged to continue to speak up for the black community and other communities being oppressed. Read up on the history Um, that you may not be familiar with. I know during this time um, of the Black Lives Matter protest, I 
truly learned about history I had no clue about, and it's a shame that I was never told about it. But that's okay. Now is the time to put in the research and learn um, so that we can be a better society. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you have a great day. Remember to keep speaking up.